Jesus Christ can transform anybody. You believe that? He can transform anybody. Even as we were just singing, good, good father, you know, I naturally thought about my own dad. And, you know, my, both my mom and dad's family were well-known families in the little town I grew up in. Both of my great-grandfathers were politicians back in the day. They were commissioners and leaders in the community. But my granddaddy was the black sheep. My granddaddy, Jim Dura, was, was the alcoholic of the bunch. And so then, back then, when people didn't divorce, my grandparents divorced not once but twice. And so my dad, that's what my dad grew up in, and my dad also became much like his father. I've seen my daddy sloppy, falling down, drunk. On, I can't tell you how many occasions I've had my friends laugh at me and make fun of me. And so as I became a Christian, when God transformed my life, and I stepped out of that grave, I started to pray, God, just let my daddy come to church with me. That's all I prayed was that my daddy would come to church with me. And if you know my story, not only did my daddy come to church with me, but my stepmother gave her life to Jesus. My daddy gave his life to Jesus. My daddy was transformed. I had a brand new daddy. So when he stepped from this earth to heaven from Panama City Beach, Florida on Father's Day in 2016, I have no doubt about where he is because we serve a good, good father. I'm sure there were people in Cordill, Georgia that thought Jimmy is Jim Dura's son and he's going to always be like that. There's going to always be a drunk. There's nothing that can change them. I'm telling you, Jesus can transform anybody. Take your copy of Scripture. We're going to look at that today in Acts chapter number 9. And as you turn, think about, don't say it out loud, the most wicked person you've ever known personally. The most wicked person. I'm talking about just evil. And I just got to tell you, the one that came to my mind when I pondered that question is a Baptist preacher. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be ashamed to tell you that. But when I think of the, just the evil that I saw that, that man doing, is he a Christian? I don't know, but all I know is the most evil human I've ever known. Think about in world history, who's the most evil person who ever lived? You tell me, who are some evil people that we've seen throughout world history? Hitler's probably the number one person we're going to think of. Stalin, Napoleon. Caligula. Charles Manson, my goodness. I remember as a little boy when that Helter Skelter came on and my parents watched that. I was in my room just terrified near the music that went along with it. Jim Jones, and in the name of God, got all those people to follow them. The Jeffrey Dahmer, who he ate people, right? He killed. There's some evil, evil people in the world. Can Jesus transform anybody? The same Jesus that transformed my daddy, he could have transformed any one of the people you just said if they gave their life to Jesus. One of the most evil people in all of human history, I would say, was a man named Saul. He went around and made it his mission to hunt down Christians, to lock Christians up, and to kill Christians. Transformation Church, we exist to be a church where anybody, where all people, all ages, and all cultures can be transformed by the truth of Jesus. And we have so many examples in the Word of God, so many examples in history. And the truth is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I deserve to be in hell just as much as Charles Manson. We all have sin in our life, and all sin is what put Jesus on the cross. And none of it is so big that God can't transform a life. So we've been going through the book of Acts as we've got September the 11th circled on our calendar. We're praying that'll be our launch date as Transformation Church when we'll be ready to promote in the community, to do community outreach and invite people to come and 
you know, once all this equipment is paid off, everything we get, we can just pour back into this community and minister to people. As we're praying for that, we said there's no better place to go than the book of Acts. So we've kind of been journeying through the book of Acts, the first century church, the first ever church plant, New Testament church plant, if you will. And the church in Jerusalem began with 120 people. We asked the people at the community center, how many chairs do we have here? And we had kind of prayed, and God just kind of laid the number of 400 on my heart. I would love to launch with 400 that day. Now, for if, if you study church planting on launch day, people will come, friends. I've already had friends of mine, pastors, and we're, we want to be there to support you all on launch day. They'll come that day. So if we had 400 on launch day, we might have 150, 200 the next week, and that's okay. The church at Jerusalem began with just 120 people. That's 10 dozen people. Well, you know, as we've studied Acts, they had a one-day, one-day event when 3,000 people got saved. In one day. So then after that, there was a day when 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, came to know the Lord. This is in that first century church plant. There's explosive growth. Do we serve the same God here in the community center that they did? Has he changed at all? He's not changed at all. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And in Acts chapter 5, it said the gospel was spreading so rapidly, they filled all of Jerusalem with their doctrine. People started to know what these people believe. We want people to know here what we believe. And so after Stephen, who was one of the very first deacons, one of the first deacons, he was the first Christian martyr. When Stephen was martyred for his faith, persecution ramped up. There was a man there by the name of Saul, and Scripture says he held the coats of those who did that. And Saul was one of those wicked men that was, was used by the devil, but also God was moving the pieces on the chessboard to put everything in place for explosive growth of the gospel. Because that man, Saul, you know the story, became Paul, and he spread the gospel all over the world. One of the most influential Christians in all of history was also one of the most evil men in all of human history. So if he can transfer, transform that man, he can transform anybody. So Saul led people. His goal was to smother out the spread of Christianity. Rather than smothering it, out, he scattered it all over the place. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we saw the scripture that says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When does the Holy Spirit come upon us? At the moment of my salvation. It's not a second blessing, not something i got to pray for later on. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now every day, I have to make the choice to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, in the original language, it's a present active participle. It means I've got to always choose to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me, but I can allow other junk inside of me and not let the Holy Spirit fill me up. I want to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled up to spill over. So Saul led them to scatter. They, because of his evil, they scattered the gospel, fulfilling Acts 1-8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, that's the city, Judea. Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. What Satan meant for evil. What Satan, if I can say this, what Satan meant for evil in some of our lives got us to where we are today. For God to do something. God never, I've told my kids their whole life, God never wastes to hurt. God will bring good out of anything if we will look to him and let him transform the situation and transform our lives. So we've seen the spread of the gospel, Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria, and they're taking it out there. There's a book. I've never read the book, but I read about the book called The Most Dangerous Game. Have any of you ever read that book? It's like this predates The Hunger Games. Have you all read The Hunger Games or seen the movies The Hunger Games? It's pretty... Uh, one of those... I'm not a huge reader because I read so much to study, to, to preach, so I'm just, I don't read a lot. 
When my kids got a hold of those Hunger Game books, I devoured them on vacation. I was fascinated and, and read them. Um, the most dangerous game was about, a, was about a renowned big game hunter. He hunted big, you know, elephants and big giant things, rhinoceros. And he, his name was um, Sanger Rainsford. One night, he was, he was a rich man speeding along in his yacht along the coast of South America, and he fell off of that speeding yacht. And the book says he swam to a foreboding island. He got to that island, and then the island was inhabited by two men, a rich Russian czar, and his name was General Zaroff, and his servant there on this big giant palatial estate. Well, as it would be, that General Zaroff, he also was a big game hunter, and he'd heard of Sanger Rainsford, so he welcomed him to his home and, and fed him and took care of him, and they talked about hunting and how much they liked to hunt big game. And he told that guy, he said, I'm about to hunt a new animal on this island, a new animal that has never been hunted. I want to hunt an animal that is cunning, an animal that has courage, and an animal that can reason. And Sanger Rainsford said, there's no animal that can reason. And the more the guy talked, his blood turned cold. He realized that the great hunter, Sanger Rainsford, was about to become the hunted. The guy was going to put him out on that island and hunt him down, much like the Hunger Games. And I'm telling you, in Acts chapter 9, we're going to see the one who was hunting. Saul became hunted by the Holy Spirit of God. The hound of heaven was hunting him down. The man who hunted down, persecuted, and killed Christians, the Holy Spirit had him in his sights. And as my old preacher friend Herb Revis said, the Holy Spirit will treat you like a coon dog. He'll come after you, and he'll pursue you and treat you like a coon dog. So you might as well say yes to Jesus when he's coming after you. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. If you're able, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. It's a familiar passage, but I pray God will speak to us afresh and anew. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. I mean, Stephen the martyr has been killed. Philip went and took the gospel to that Ethiopian eunuch we looked at last week who took the gospel back to Ethiopia, fulfilling Acts 1-8 to the uttermost parts of the earth. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. That's about a week's journey away, by the way, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, any followers of Jesus that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Father, I thank you that you can transform anybody. I'm living proof that you can transform anybody. Lord, you rescued me out of generational alcoholism and generational divorce. And God, because you transformed my wicked heart, Lord, all sin is wickedness in your sight. Forgive us, Lord, when we look at some people as they're just hopeless. They're not anybody that you can transform. I thank you, God, that you knew we would have those thoughts. So you recorded the story of a man named Saul in Scripture to remind us that you can transform anybody and use them for your gospel. So encourage us today, Lord Jesus, if there's, if there's somebody here today or somebody listening online later that thinks, oh, God could never use me. Lord, use your word and your spirit to show them that you can do great things for your glory when they'll yield to you. God, forgive us when we look at people and think they're just hopeless. There's no way that person's ever going to change or they can ever do anything for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you can transform anybody. So motivate us to find those folks in this community. In your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> 
The first thing I want you to see, number one, Jesus will pursue wicked people. Write that down. Jesus will pursue wicked people. No man on the earth at that time more wicked, I don't think, than Saul was. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit was pursuing him. He was ruthless. He was bloody. It's bad enough to be a murderer, but to go after Christ followers. These people who were giving to people and ministering to people, wanting to see their lives change, those are the ones that he hunted down. Later on in Acts, we see Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. When he, Saul had become Paul, now he's a missionary of the gospel, he said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. And that's what he did. He went to the high priest and said, give me papers to authorize me to travel a week's journey. There was no airplane, of course, or anything like that. So it took a week's journey to get to Damascus for the sole purpose of finding followers of Jesus to put them in chains and to bring them back to Jerusalem. This was a bloodthirsty, evil man. What he did not know, even as he was hunting down Christians, he was being hunted, much like the characters in the book that I said. He had to wonder through all of this. We're killing these people. We're locking these people up. Why won't they just recant? Why won't they just say, we don't believe in Jesus? Why didn't Stephen, when they stoned him, all he had to say was, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. But he did it to the death. It had to at least put a thought. Scripture doesn't say this. I'm using my sanctified imagination here. But surely at some point, Saul had to say, why would these people die for a lie? Why would they die for something that's not true? And I say that even today, but there are people today who die for a lie. Look at these people who blow themselves up in the name of Allah, some false... They're dying for a lie. But Paul, Saul had to certainly think that at that time. In Acts chapter 9, he was, it was midday on the Damascus Road. It was the middle of the day, and in that Middle Eastern culture at that time, that was nap time. Can I get a witness in the house to nap time? I got a nap last Sunday afternoon for the first time and I, it was glorious. It was wonderful. I didn't feel guilty. None about it. But then got up and hit the ground running after that nap. We used to get them all the time. When our son was a little boy and he's 29 years old, he still doesn't sleep. And God's given him a little boy that don't like to sleep all the time either. It's payback. But on Sunday afternoon, me and my wife, we were in the habit of taking a nap. So we made it a treat. On Sundays, you get to sleep in the bed with mommy and daddy. It was the only time we let him on Sundays. That way we knew he wouldn't tear the house up while we were asleep. So naps were a big deal, but Paul wasn't interested in no nap. He was too busy hunting down Christians. He was bent on destruction and stopping the spread of Christianity. So he skipped his nap, which was a big deal. And then he hears that Jesus is alive. They thought they'd kill Jesus. They thought he'd snuffed him out and surely had to be shocked to know when Jesus said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. That had to have been a shock to him because he planned to just go right on to Damascus arresting these people. And then he was struck blind by Jesus and he had to be led by the hand. I believe his physical blindness is a spiritual parallel to his spiritual blindness. He was not only physically blind, he was spiritually blind up until the time that he met Jesus. Here's the deal. Although he was physically blind, he had seen Jesus. He didn't see Jesus with his eyes, but he would encountered Jesus. All of us in this room today, we have our sight. But have we seen Jesus? Those who are listening online, you may have your sight, but have you seen and encountered Jesus? And so Paul realizes the truth. I don't know if Romans 3.23 was recorded then, but he realized he was a sinner. 
He realized in the light of the holiness of who Jesus is, he was a wicked sinner, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the first step to salvation. I can't get saved until I know I'm wicked. I can't get saved until I know I need to be saved. My sinner separates me from God. So God had to bring Saul to the end of himself. He was somebody. He was a powerful man getting permission from the high priest to kill people. God had to bring him to the end of himself as he was hunting down Christians. And the Holy Spirit of God had been on the hunt. And he got his attention and captured him there. Number two, write this down. Jesus will transform wicked people. Jesus will pursue wicked people, number one. Number two, Jesus will transform wicked people. You see... In my mind, if somebody's wicked, they're a terrorist or they've hurt somebody, I want to hunt them down and put them in jail. I want to hunt them down and I want to punish them. The Holy Spirit, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think Scripture teaches that. You know, as a consequence to our sin, I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knew the potential in this man. The Holy Spirit knew the potential in this man that everybody else had given up on. They just wanted him dead. I mean, somebody that evil, the best thing you can do is just kill him. Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. I'm going to prove to the world then and for thousands of years to come, if God can transform Saul, he can transform anybody. So God brought him to the end of himself. God had prepared him. God had prepared for that encounter on the Damascus Road. And as I read that, I thought, God has prepared people in this East Hall community. God has prepared people who will come for a basketball tournament, maybe on a Sunday, that were here, for somebody to encounter them and love them in the name of Jesus. God has prepared people in East Hall to maybe come to a softball game, and maybe we're helping in the concession stand, or an East Hall football game, or if we're helping with the band, they've asked us to do stuff like that. God is preparing people for us to encounter. You see, Transformation Church did not need to be planted for us. I'm thankful. It takes us to help do that. But we exist not to meet my needs and your needs. We exist to meet the needs of those who don't know Jesus yet. And here's the cool thing in God's economy. When I sacrifice and I give and I do without and I work and I labor and I serve the Lord to reach others, He's meeting my needs. Even through all of that, there's no greater blessing than serving the Lord. So Jesus will transform even wicked people. Verse 10 says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus. So far, everything's okay. He knows the Lord is speaking. The Lord's giving him a sign. He said, okay, Lord, I'm ready for this. Where, where you want me to go? go? Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Wait a minute. Saul, Tarsus. Are we talking about the same man here? He had to start to get a little nervous there. And God says, he's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias. Mike would be exclaiming the same thing. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man's done to believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Lord, he's going to arrest me and take me back to Jerusalem in chains if I go talk to him. I would have had the same questions. I think sometimes we're willing to serve the Lord. Maybe you're listening to this online and you're willing to serve the Lord. We talked about earlier how close we are to buying the physical things we need to be able to launch for a church. But we need bodies. We need people, men and women, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God with the servant's heart, much like all those in this room who are willing to leave the comforts maybe of your existing church to come and help roll up your sleeves and plant a new church. I believe the people are out there. People are willing to serve the Lord, but it gets a little hard when you're going to be planting a church. Right now, you know, we get up, we come in, we have our coffee, but you know when we launch, we've got to put a stage together. 
We got to put up a whole children's church, tiles on the floor. We got to get a big coffee bar. If we're going to have hundreds of people come, it's going to take a lot of people to do that. And that's a sacrifice. So some folks may say, God, I'm willing to serve you. But I ain't doing that. I'm not getting up out of bed early to come and help do something like that. It's not for everybody, but some people the Lord is speaking to about doing that. It would be understandable that Ananias had fears. I would certainly have fears. But look at verse 15. The Lord knew. The Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I wonder how the Lord threw that in. I think because he knows, like me, I want to see wicked people and terrorists suffer. And I think he, Ananias said, hey, go. God's going to use him, but he's going to suffer. He's going to suffer also. That might have appealed to the human fleshly side of Ananias. Like, All right, if he's going to suffer for what he's done, maybe, I, and again, I'm reading my sanctified imagination. The scripture doesn't say that, but it does say he's going to suffer. So Ananias had to have some apprehension, but he trusted the Lord. In verse 16, so Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, I'd have said, you jerk terrorist, you kill people. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. That's the first step of obedience after salvation. We talked about a few weeks ago his baptism. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Ananias so trusted God. Even he was human like us. He had to have been a little freaked out and scared about this, knowing that man could arrest him and he had the authority of the high priest to do it. But he calls him Brother Saul. What a statement of faith. God said, I'm going to use him. It's as good as done. So I'm not going to call him Brother Saul. Was he his brother yet? He wasn't his brother yet. The scales hadn't fallen from his eyes. But by faith, he said, Brother Saul. By faith, we're saying God's going to plant Transformation Church. By faith, God's going to do big things here. By faith, God's going to use this church to plant another church in the first five years. When God calls you to do something, it's as good as done. So he called him Brother Saul. What forgiveness and what trust. I mean, Ananias, he probably knew some folks. He probably knew some ladies that were widows because Paul, Saul had killed their husbands. He probably knew some kids who were orphans because this persecutor of Christians had taken their parents or killed their parents. He probably had some people that he knew personally that he might have killed because he was hunting them down all over the place. And yet, by faith, he said... Brother Saul, God said he's going to save you and use you. And when those physical scales fell off his eyes, again, I think that's a parallel to the fact that he was, his eyes were spiritually opened. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was what? Blind, but now I see. And I have vision problems. I've had eye surgery. I've never been blind before, but I have. I've been spiritually blind. I was a good kid kid who didn't get in a lot of trouble, wanted to be the one to break the chain of alcoholism in my family and all those things, but I was still lost. I was still just as lost as Saul was. I was still lost as the most wicked person we mentioned earlier. I was headed for the same hell they were headed for. There's not like there's different kinds of hell. Good people who are pretty good go to this hell. We can, no, we all, they all go to the same place when they don't know the Lord. And the Holy Spirit of God was hunting me down. 
Holy Spirit of God was using my papa, John Shepherd, to plant seeds of the gospel in my heart. Holy Spirit of God, when he would turn on that radio on Sunday morning on WMJM radio with the old-fashioned dial, and it was an old radio, so he had a folded-up deposit slip from Cordell Banking Company stuck behind that to keep it on WMJM to listen to the Ellis Quartet sing gospel music. He would turn on his TV, and I'd lay in the bed with him, and we would listen to the gospel singing Jubilee with Howard and Vestal Goodman and the inspirations and Dixie Echo, planting seeds of the gospel in my heart at an early age. When my little granny, my godly granny, who was married to my alcoholic granddaddy for a while and had divorced him, when I would go next door and she'd pull that book off the shelf, that maroon book called Beautiful Bible Stories, and she would read to me beautiful Bible stories. A princess finds a baby was the most captivating one in my mind for whatever reason. So I'd put their baby in the river and let him be raised by a princess. Planting seeds, little did I know the Holy Spirit of God was already pursuing me. The Holy Spirit of God was already preparing me just as he had prepared Saul for this time. But the thing about this, the hunted don't usually join the hunter. The hunted don't usually join the hunter. But in the spiritual case of this guy who had hunted Christians, now he's going to join the hunter, the Holy Spirit, to help reach other people for Jesus. And that's my last point, number three. Truly transformed people are compelled to see other people transformed too. Truly transform people. We are compelled to see other people transform too. It's not enough that I'm going to heaven. It's not enough that I've, I'm going to get good things from God. I want everybody to know this. I want other people to know this. I don't think it's any accident. Listen, we need churches everywhere. Again, if the population of Hall County is going to triple in the next 30 years, we need churches all over Hall County. But we live in what people who've grown up here, my daughter-in-law grew up in this community, can tell you, East Hall's probably the most neglected part of this county, traditionally and has been. God specifically called us here because we think God is preparing people just like Saul for us to encounter and share with them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because we're not going to have a house payment, we just pay rent here, because we're not going to have to pay for internet and cleaning, we're going to have a little extra resources that some churches may not have to minister in this community where there's greater need perhaps than North Hall and other places. And listen, there's, there's people in need everywhere, okay? But there's just something, there's just, God's called us here. And this is what God's called us to do, to reach this community because truly transformed people want to see others transformed. Look at verse 20. And immediately, listen, he heard the gospel, the scales fell off, he got baptized, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues where the religious folks are. Y'all know some religious folks who need Jesus? Know some religious folks who just flat out need to get saved? Saying he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? Didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So now instead of preaching an incarceration, he's talking about liberation. Nothing liberates like the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing liberates like the gospel. Only the gospel could do something like this. I've seen this quote, and I posted it last night. Maybe you some have seen it too. Think about this. When Paul stepped into heaven for the very first time and he met Jesus, the very people that he had martyred were applauding the fact of what God had done. The very people he martyred were welcoming him into heaven. That's what the gospel does. The gospel removes hatred. You want even the people who hate you to be saved. You want the people who, who want to wish you evil to be saved and go to heaven with you. 
found people find people. I think it was Jensen Franklin I heard say that. Found people find people. If you've been transformed, you want other people to be transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Very dramatic in the life of a soul. No less dramatic than in my life or your life. We were on our way to hell and he reached down his nail-scarred hand and he rescued us. You don't hear these dramatic testimonies like Saul and you know, even some of these people who are politicians or movie stars or singers. And they were wicked and you hear God saved them and God did great stuff through them. That's awesome. But from the time when we knew we were going to have children, my prayer was God do not give them a testimony like that. I want my kids to have the testimony. I grew up in church. I trusted Jesus at an early age, and I gave my life to Christ, and I served Him. Because my kids were no more headed for hell than anybody else was, the most wicked person. The greatest thing we can do is to reach them. So we're Transformation Church, we're going to invest resources in reaching children, in reaching families, in reaching young people, this next-gen ministry. God's going to do something to help us realize that found people find people. We should be completely obedient like Ananias was. If God calls you to the, most, the person in East Hall County that you think, they wouldn't spit on me if I was on fire. I can give you a list for me, okay? You probably know some of them too, but we won't go there. What if the Lord tells you to go share with them? What if the Lord tells you to witness to them? Somebody that's just known as an... There was a man who sang in our choir in one robin's name, James Malone. And I, you know, I, he was already an adult when I was there. He taught eighth grade Sunday school for many, many years in the church where I was the youth pastor. And Brother Rastus, the former pastor who's with the Lord now, tells a story of a time a man visited the church. And the choir sang a song, and he said, the man walked out and said, Preacher, I loved your sermon. I love being here, but I'll never be back. And he said, why won't you come back if you enjoy it? He said, you got the meanest man in Houston County singing in that choir. He said, who? He said, James Malone. All the Malones in Houston County, if they're listening, they're they were known as fighters. They just fought. They'd rather fight than eat. And James Malone had a mama who prayed for him, who had all of Second Baptist Church praying for James. Everybody knew what a fighter he was, what a mean dude he was. James tells the story, preacher used to be on the radio every week. Preacher wasn't on gospel radio, he was on secular radio. James Malone said, make me so mad, I'd be listening to my rock and roll music, and there come Rastus Alter preaching the gospel on the radio. God saved, who was known as one of the meanest men in the county, put him in the choir, and I'm telling you to this day, James Malone has one of the sweetest, most tender hearts of anybody I've ever known. I, I can't even picture the old James Malone. That's what Jesus does. Most all of you know Alma Simpson. You know, Alma, who is so precious to all of us. And we're going to help do the, the service for um, Anna Carter this Saturday. Anna was a caregiver to her. When I hear Alma was a caregiver to her, when I hear the stories of Alma Simpson, Julie and I have taken her out to eat. We just listen. And she talks about being a drug addict and all. I just can't even see that person. That person does not even exist in my most remote imagination. But there's other people who do. The other lady who helped care for Anna Carter, she said, you just don't know. You don't know the Alma that I knew and what she used to be like. She said, that woman is nothing but an answer to prayer. Jesus transforms drug addicts. Jesus transforms people who murder. Jesus transforms people who steal. Jesus can transform anybody. If he can transform Saul and use him, he can transform us. And if I've been transformed, I'm going to have a desire to see other people transformed. And I think the flip side of that is true. If I don't care, if I don't, and listen, you take Jesus out of me and I don't care. I'm just going to do my own thing, mind my own business, leave me alone. If there was no Jesus in me, I'd be the most selfish dude there is. But because Jesus is in me, because he transformed my life, I want other people to have what I have. I want them to experience what I have. I want them to experience the same transformation that we have experienced. So if I don't have that desire, one of two things is true. Either I've never been transformed, because you can be religious and not transformed. Saul knew that. That's why he went to the synagogue to preach to these religious people who need to be saved. 
You can be religious and not be saved. So you, if you don't have a desire to see other people saved, either you're lost or you're backslidden. Even when I was backslidden. Even when I did the one thing I swore I would never, I ain't going to be like my granddaddy. I'm not going to be like my daddy. I'm not going to drink. And if you've heard my story, I'm not going to go into all of that. But before you knew it, I was just like them. I was getting drunk every weekend. I was doing the very same things. But you know, even then, I'm ashamed to tell you, it was after my salvation. And it was a gradual backsliding. I got saved, no doubt about it, as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy. And gradually backslid. The evidence of salvation was that conviction in my heart. I was Joe Cool on the outside party and the life of the party. But on the inside, the Holy Spirit of God eating my lunch. Mike, my boys don't act like this. Mike, Christians don't live like you're living. So it was confirmation. I cared. I wanted people to be saved. I wanted people to know the Lord. But at that moment, I was just loving my sin more than that. But because I'm a child of God, I deserve to be in Sunnyside Cemetery, Cordell, or Betty Ford Rehab somewhere. It's only the grace of God that I'm not. That He rescued me out of that mess. So even if you say I'm living in sin, you still should have a desire to do better. You should have a desire to see people saved. And if not, you got a question, do you know him? Have you truly ever been transformed? And, and another, and I don't have time to talk about it like I wanted to, but in Acts chapter 9, it's a beautiful picture. There's a beautiful formula here of how for you and I to share our personal testimony. I wanted to have time to show you, but I don't. You see what Paul was like before he got saved. You see what, how he got saved, and you see how his life is different. Right there in that one chapter, all the way from terrorist to missionary. That's the three key ingredients all of us should use in sharing our personal testimony. What was your life like before Christ? How did you know you needed to get saved? How did you get saved? And how does Jesus make your life different now? Does your life show evidence that you've been transformed? Because transformed people want to see other people transformed. Are you saved? Have you done, listen, Saul, that wicked man got saved and the first thing he did was be baptized. How did he know that? He, 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 he had he'd studied the Old Testament scriptures. I guess he'd seen enough. It was the Holy Spirit. He knew the, I got to not be ashamed of the gospel. All these people know I'm a terrorist. I want to be public. I want them to know I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He followed him in believer's baptism. If you've never been baptized or never had your baptism on the right side of your salvation, that is a big deal. Will you roll up your sleeves and let's join the hunt? And those of you in this room, I think you have. I think that's why you're here. That's why you're hanging in there with us through the ups and downs of summer. You know, big crowds, little crowds. We're going to get the money. We're not going to get the money. The money. You're hanging in there. You're rolling up your sleeves. Because when he said, Brother Saul, by faith he knew God was going to do something. You are here by faith because you believe, we believe, God wants to do something in this East Hall community and let us see many people transform. So God used a frightened but faithful disciple in Ananias to help launch Paul into one of the greatest, if not the greatest missionary in all the history of the world. The man that God used to write more of the New Testament scripture than anybody else was that terrorist. The apostle Paul entered heaven, as I said, to the applause of those who he martyred and put there. Jesus changes everything. Let's pray together.